Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is live show number 12. Um, me and Dan are joined by Eric Husbo of Trophy Adventure Bear Bait. Um, Eric shot a giant bear um, about, I don't know, about, about a couple weeks ago now. And he shares that story about it. The bear was called Zip Tie, really cool story. We got into a whole bunch of other stuff and answer some questions at the end of the podcast as well. So before we start the episode, i got to thank some of my sponsors. The first partner I have to thank is Stealth Outdoors. Lou and the crew at Stealth Outdoors do a great job with, with customer service. They also have a, a product that is second to none uh, when it comes to silencing your gear. Um, I've had stealth strips on all my gear for many, many years now, and... I think probably the, the first piece of gear I stealth strip probably has that stealth tape still on it. Um, my favorite product from Stealth Outdoors is definitely the buckle silencers. Typically, whenever you're climbing a stand, putting a uh, hanging up, you're going to run into issues with noise on the, the buckles. So get those covered up with buckle silencers. Also, got to thank the guys from Exodus Outdoors. They make the best cell camera, in my opinion, in the industry. Um, the Render 4G LTE has some really fast transmission times and uh, great battery life, especially if you throw one of their solar panels on it. Um, they also have some cool stuff coming down the line um, in the archery realm that I think everybody's going to really like. And if you go to their website and subscribe to their, their email list, you'll get updates on that product when it comes out. Uh, they also go above and beyond for their customers, producing all kinds of good content for you on their YouTube channel and their podcast platforms. Finally, I need to thank Hunting Beast Gear. Right now is hands down one of the best times to buy a beast stand and sticks. Uh, they're running a sale right now, which almost never happens. The beast stand, in my opinion, is the best running gun stand in the industry. You know, if you're a private land hunter or a public land hunter, I think it's really important to have one in your arsenal uh, to having a successful season this year. Um, and the bee sticks are also on sale. It's no secret that the, the bee sticks probably uh, reinvented the mobile hunting industry and, and kind of kicked off this, uh, this lightweight stuff that we are all involved in now. Um, and in my opinion, it's still the best stick on the market. So go to huntingbeastgear.com and buy you some beast gear. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. It's Howdy. Thursday night, Thursday night again, Dan. Thursday night live. Yeah, when we started this, it used to be uh, dark out. Now it's uh, light at seven or eight, whatever time you, you're at right now. Yeah, I liked it better when I was in the shadows. Yeah, in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> how's the uh how's the building coming along any updates on it oh it's been a nightmare yeah it's just been one cluster after another they uh i don't know they, they just messed everything up they told me i had a 500 hundred dollar refund i went down to the store to get it and they turned it to 300 dollars. and i'm like how do you get 300 out of 500 and i was just so flustered i just took it you know, <laughs> yeah but, yeah. That was from selling me the the stuff that was too expensive that was that I didn't need. Yeah, sold me the wrong stuff, the wrong trusses. So, I got that switched out. Um, I had to get them to send me a 
the blueprints they never sent them i'm sure i'm missing other stuff um i believe the builders are going to get here this weekend and uh start inventorying things i was going to ask you when the when they're scheduled to uh start start uh, uh, kind of family and friends so right um they like they run a construction it. business but uh you know um the people who are whining and complaining they'll get dibs before me i'm easy going i don't have i can't get doors for the building until um october anyways yeah so what's the big rush really can't do much without doors you know right. at least not you know nothing productive inside of it at least but oh well did your uh last week before the, the show you about missed the show because of uh, you're planting a food plot did that how that turn out you get it done but yet i just sprayed it um and it's still green so i'm waiting for it to die mm. how big is it um small it's uh quarter acre yeah that's all i've been doing lately is spraying i feel like my dad bought four acres next to me here he wanted me to spray it so i've been spraying spraying it with roundup and 24d and then i sprayed my uh clover plot the other night too so um about tired of spraying um eric i did not catch a branch in the eye i catch caught a pair of needle nose pliers but i look a lot better than i did this monday so thanks for mm -hmm. noticing dan thought i had something on my face so um anyway uh we got a good guest he's actually a repeat guest pre-live show um eric husebo of uh trophy adventure bear baits uh, a lot of you guys, if you guys ever, if you went to the Hill Country Workshop this year, uh, Eric hosted us there. Uh, we did all the the pre and post workshop stuff in his shop, and um, he's known for his, his uh, bear bait and his uh, achievements hunting bear. So, um, killed a giant bear with a lot of that had a lot of his history uh, real recently. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about before we bring Eric on, Dan? Uh, I don't know what's what's going on new. Nothing. I uh, I've been tinkering with my bow a little bit, shooting a little bit. Um, my dad's going back to a compound from a crossbow, so I've been kind of gathering stuff for him, kind of building him something. Um, he's going to shoot my old bow because I got a new one. Hmm. So. I don't know that's kind of what I do this time of year is tinker with, I don't know, it's scouting. I, I don't do much scouting in June. I usually, I usually get ready with, with my gear and all that kind of stuff and bought a new spotlight. So, uh, off of a recommendation on here, I think. So whoever, I can't remember who recommended it, but I, I appreciate it. Uh, so we'll see. I'm going to put it to use this July. But you, do you shoot? Someone asked me a question the other day, messaged me on Facebook, asking me how much do you scout in the spring nowadays? How much do you do? How much do you, you scout now? Um, I don't know. Probably five or six full days, um, which is way less than I'd like. But yeah. I end up uh, trying to help some friends. Um, yeah. I end up uh, editing videos and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just don't have the time, but, uh, I get five or six days in, and uh, I'm always depressed that I didn't get enough in. 
uh, I always feel pressure from people. I mean, uh, people want me to go scout their property or something and I'll be busy and they'll see yeah. that I really want help and then I'll end up doing it. And, uh, you know, it, it eats into my time. Yeah. Plus you guys are, when you do have free time, it seems like you're messing with something on hunting beast gear or whatever, you know? Yeah. I need to be more organized with that stuff. I, I think I'd like to maybe get you involved in the, um, property scouting thing and uh yep maybe uh next year you can uh plan the dates and, and schedule the stuff and talk to the people and then uh um i can just allot so many days and what i can yeah. put into it and that I way think, i don't get overwhelmed because i have a hard time telling people no and stuff yeah it'd be even cool like next summer to on this show just like if we if we have a property that's good to talk about or something we could talk about it on the show and have the landowner yeah. on or whatever well i, I think um, too i mean um we give a little discount or something on uh, people that uh, allow us to, to film the property i mean it's private property it's not like anybody can trespass or anything yeah i mean we won't show exactly where it is but we film it and i think that would be a good learning experience for everybody you know like look at a property and how do we go about scouting and how do we go about finding this stuff and the two of us go and rip it apart. And I'd rather do properties like that than the secretive ones, you know, because it really ain't about the money more, you know, I like it to yeah. be an education. Yep. That'd be one. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's get Eric on here. Cause, uh, we'll have a lot to talk about with Eric. Maybe it may, yeah, it may leak over to, to more than just, uh, yeah, it may be it may leak over more than just uh, bear hunting too. So, so uh, I uh, go ahead. I sent Eric an email or a, a text. I mean, um, asked him if I could come up this weekend and pick up some bear bait and what he was recommending, kind of thing. And he texted me back. I just shot a big bear. <laughs> I was like, "What? <laughs> oh, you just shot one? Where? Are you, what are you spring hunting?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, I swear." He says, "Up in Ontario," and uh, you got a hell of a bear, uh, one that's. Uh, you know, well-known. Yeah. So I think this would be kind of cool to talk to him about it. Yeah, for sure. I love bears, you know. And yeah, I want to. Quite the whitetail hunter. So, I mean, he's mm -hmm. probably got some input there, too, if people want to talk to him about that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just, I think, hunting in general. What I mean, he's traveled all over the world and hunting, if people have questions about that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. Um, Actually, his uh, wife's going to kill her, too. You should almost have her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I asked her. She said no. She didn't want to be. So, I didn't. I didn't push it. Maybe Eric can talk her into it. Before we get Eric on, I completely forgot to say this at the beginning, which I think it's probably better to say it now. But um, if you guys have questions, you can leave them in the comments. I know a lot of you are repeat customers, but um, leave them in the comments. You can also hop on and ask your question live. Oftentimes we give away prizes if you uh, if you hop on here live and and um, I remember. Uh, we'll uh, give something away uh, tonight. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, it helps us up. That's probably the best way of supporting uh, what we're doing is subscribing. All right. I'm going to bring Eric up here. Hey, Eric. Hey. How are we doing? How's it going, man? It's excellent. Good. Careful, Good. there's a giant brown bear behind you. Yeah. He's getting ready to take a dump on your head, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, he's been stuck like that for a while, huh? Yeah, he's he's had enough. Yeah, good. 
I think we talked about that on your on the the podcast you were on, the non live one. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to hear the story of that bear, you can jump on. I don't. I'm not sure what episode it was. Maybe I don't know. Probably single digits. It was pretty early on. Maybe not. Maybe in the teens. Um, but it's the other one with Eric Hughesbow. So, um, so you killed a uh, a pretty nice bear that you guys had some history with. Yeah, it was it was more than unexpected, actually. Um, he's had such a big range up there, and we've got, I would say, probably a fifty mile area that we hunt. And we've got before you here. before you get too far, Eric. What range are you talking about? Where, where's up there at? Just so people know uh, where you're just at. Just across the border in Ontario. Um, okay. Literally, and I'll throw a quick plug out to the guy that worked so hard up there for us for many years. It's Ken Angus. Ken Angus is uh, from Emo, Ontario. He's just an old feller that's lived there his whole life. You know, he lives and dies for the bears, and um, he always gets the baits running for us. And then we get up there, and we I've kind of had a mentality for probably close to 15 years up there where, he, you know, he'll use his what I call Canadian mix, which them bears, they, did, they definitely go after it. They use it. They like it. Um, I like to go up there and kind of spice things up. I try to use some of my own stuff that I bring. And, and it seems to me like once I get them on that, it, it's like, um, it's like a starving, you know, anybody. And then all of a sudden you give them a T-bone and some mashed potatoes and it's the best thing they ever had. And they want more tomorrow. And it was sort of that same philosophy for me with them bears. Once I get them on it, it, it definitely changes things. Um, Do you have any problem getting bait over the border? Well, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up, man. Um, <laughs> Sorry. We never, no, we never have. We never have until last fall. We kind of got quizzed about the stuff that we had, and they had some pretty picky stipulations in there. And I guess what we've learned to do now is we don't bring the things we used to bring, which seemed to be okay. Now it is not. More or less, what we've learned to do now is our camp food, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we maybe got an extra bag of marshmallows or a box of M&Ms or, or something to that nature. But no, we, we've had to really throttle back on what we can. Um, they seem to have a bigger issue with that now than they used to for some reason. We used to just flat out, you know, they'd ask, we'd tell them, and they said, hey, if it's edible and you guys will eat it, good enough. See you later. <laughs> now, and that literally is the phrase they would use. If you'll eat it, you can, you can have it. So we were always pretty picky about what we brought. Um, anymore, it seems like we didn't get quizzed at all this year about it. Last year, they did ask us, and it was the fall that we were able to hunt last year for the first time in a couple of years. And, you know, they just seemed to have a huge issue with it. So we actually left a few things at the border. Um, one of the guys that went up with us this year, he brought eggs with, which I know was a no-no, but he didn't tell me he had them. And they actually made him walk them eggs back across the U.S. bridge and get yeah. rid of them, dispose of them on the U.S. side, which... I guess I understand it. You know, they're preventing the spread of disease, avian flu, stuff like that. So that's a whole nother chapter. But for the most part, yeah, we, we, we've usually brought some stuff, <coughs> excuse me, but pretty minimal. Hmm. That's, that's kind of the, the, the route now is maybe just a little different than it used to be. So hmm. if you're going to tell us about that berry, if you start from the beginning when you first heard about it and, yeah. and how it got its history. And, and I'll throw up some pictures here for, for everybody. I got him up here while Eric's talking. So zip tie, I named him zip tie um, somewhere around 2010, uh, give or take a year or so there. He actually got caught in a wolf snare. 
local trapper was trapping wolves and and hooked that bear and the bear broke the snare well then from that point forward you know he just never nobody ever seen a wolf break a wolf snare but they kind of figured it was a bear i assume they had some hair for evidence whatever and then all of a sudden there was uh <clears throat> this local bear was kind of being spotted here and there and seen on the baits and seen on camera and this and that and as soon as i seen that he was a pretty small bear i guess when i started hunting him but i shouldn't say i started hunting him when we first kind of really got on his radar he was probably in that 350 400 pound range at that point and they were fall hunts and then all of a sudden uh you know he started becoming a legend because you could identify him so easy it wasn't hard to see that it was him i don't know if you'll see it in this video here quite clear but some you of the right there yep yeah you can see the white ring around his neck where the snare had been so i put a friend of mine that i had taken up there probably six years ago is my best guess i put him on him because he was coming into this bait pretty regular in the daylight there you can really see it and he come in <laughs> kind of funny how it started this zip tie bear he'd only frequented that one bait one time but there was another bear that was every bit as big as him that had a white chest. And I had told Tom, I said, Tom, this white chested bear had been here three, four days in a row in the daylight. Don't shoot any bear other than that big white chested bear. Just because he's a giant, he's probably going to show up. And I didn't want him to make a common rookie mistake and shoot the first bear he's seen. And it was a small one. Well, he come back that night. I said, did you see anything? He said, oh, yeah, I seen all kinds of stuff. And he said, a pretty good one that I didn't shoot. Well, he showed me the video, and who do you think it was? It was Zip Tie. And I said, Tom, why did you not shoot that bear? He said, because you told me not to. <laughs> you told me just to shoot the white-chested one. And I said, well, you listened way too well because Zip Tie is a <laughs> You just had the first chance of anybody I know of to shoot him, and you let him walk away. So then it was uh, game on for Zip Tie. Well, two days later, he did come back, and Tom put a – a pretty marginal shot and him. actually it was a, a kind of a poor shot and i hate to bust his chops like that but it was a poor shot we never recovered him uh very confident that he was still alive kind of funny in this video you see him sniffing that that bear scat there that was one of the tricks we played with him as we actually took some scat from another bait 15 20 miles away and brought a couple different bear piles in and put in here just to make him think somebody was in his turf so mm -hmm. that worked out well um getting back to zip tie he uh he had been seen by several people on camera this is a 2013 picture you have up right now so yeah um nine years ago i guess he was uh he wasn't an over big bear but you can see the snare there mm -hmm. so it kind of got down to a point where the first part of this hunt we we really utilize the cameras up there and and don't waste our time in areas that are not producing the bears we're looking for um, hey, can you bring that picture back up once the small when he when he was the last one. Can I ask you something about that, Eric? Please. That bear looks uh, a little taller than the barrel. So even yep. though it's smaller in that picture in two thousand, that's thirteen. Yep. It almost looks like he's just malnourished. Is that yep. shortly after he got that snare on his neck? I think that's within probably three years of that happening, and I I completely agree with you because for all these years, you know, we've always talked about what that snare is doing to him. Is it going to choke him out? Is he having trouble eating? Does he still breed? All them things were question marks up until last Friday when we actually got to put our fingers on him and learn a lot about what we kind of thought we knew but were unsure of. And um, I would agree with you 100%. He, he's, 
He's got the height of a 250 to 300 pound bear. He doesn't have that girth. I mean, I look at the the gap between his belly and the ground and how long his legs are. And it's kind of tough for me to tell with his neck and his head as far as how big that is. But he, he definitely looks to me like he, he's missing something. And it was one of the questions we always asked about him. Um, does he just take it real easy? Does he not get you know overly aggressive fighting? Does he not do the things that a typical mature boar would do just for the simple fact he's a little starved for oxygen? Um, you know, if you put a dog collar around your neck, you don't have to tighten it real tight before it really starts to impede your ability to eat, to breathe, things like that. Um, we and, had some hard maybe it just, uh, maybe just for the first couple of years, he was really uh, shy about it too, you know, and then he got yeah. used to it and learned how to deal with it. Maybe I would imagine, you know, it's just like anything. If you have any kind of impediment, you're going to kind of adapt to it and learn how to work around it. And I always felt like that snare was probably because most snares are going to have a locking mechanism. It had probably really tightened up on him. It would be my guess when he pulled out of it, it broke it, which in turn, if that, that snare worked properly, the tighter he pulled, the tighter it would, it would asphyxiate him. But apparently somehow by some miracle, it didn't. I mean, when I shot him, he wasn't malnourished, mal, malnourished. I promise you that <laughs> he was very short. Um, that's one thing that was, it was kind of surprising when I first laid eyes on him in person. I thought, geez, you know, he's a tank, but not as long as what I would expect him to be. A bear that big typically is longer. And that could have very been, you know, very well been something that, you know, his bone structure and everything didn't grow or didn't develop 100% because of lack of food, lack of oxygen. I don't know, but he, he definitely grew into himself but we're talking 11 years after or uh, nine years after that picture too. And how old do you think he is in that picture? You know, I don't have an exact age on when he got snared. Um, I kind of did the math and I put some numbers into my head, what my best guess was. I don't have any facts to base this off of. He could have been a two-year-old when he got snared. He could have been eight years old when he got snared. I'm thinking it's likely to me this bear will come back around that 20-year-old mark this year. So in that picture there, I would guess he's probably somewhere in that, you know, nine, 10. Just, just my best guess. Um, Some of it's fact-based, some of it's just a guess. But yeah, you can see he's not, he's not a young bear in that picture. He's just, I agree. He's missing something. Right. It'll trick you. When I first looked at it, I thought, oh, it's tiny bear. And then I'm looking at the barrel and I'm like, whoa, wait a second here. He's a, he's fairly tall. So it's more you know, he doesn't have the meat on him. That's, I agree with you. I agree a hundred percent. So it, I guess to kind of round out the, the history with him, Tom had wounded him. We chased him, chased him, never found him. Uh, felt a hundred percent like he was going to live is what I thought, because I went back, replayed the video in slow motion that he had. And it was pretty well obvious to me that he had kind of cut through. I thought he had gut shot him is what I thought at first, but he hit him so low but I think all he did was really cut skin and the bear was laying down when he shot him. So the second, the exit actually went through his, it had been his left paw. Just by the way I was tracking him, I was finding the, the blood. Every time he would step, I would find a little dab of blood in the moss. And that kind of told me that that was on his foot. After replaying the video and kind of watching it closer with that theory, that's sort of what told me, yeah, he stuck a hole in his foot and cut the bottom of his belly is all he did. 
So this right here, I don't know that you got any audio with this, but this is actually kind of the ending of the story is when I got him on camera early in the week, I had a picture of him. And as soon as I seen it, I thought, well, that's zip tie for sure. Um, I never got a picture of him the rest of the week. And it would have been probably around the eighth night, I suppose. Eighth night of hunting. Last night, actually. Um, this sow that's in front of him in this video, the one that's sitting at the barrel right now, she was coming in every day. Every single day I seen her, she'd come in. There was probably two other sows in that bait. Uh, kind of got to a point where I felt I'm not seeing the bears I want. There was a real good 325, 350 pound boar that I could have shot a couple times. And don't get me wrong, that's an amazing bear. It, it just really wasn't what I was looking for. So uh, my whole goal was to wait for one of these sows to come in heat because I felt like if he was in the area, and there's a couple other bears up there too that are every bit as big as him that we know about. And I kind of thought, you know, the first sow in heat here is going to have probably the biggest bear behind it. And that's exactly what you know, kind of transpired. She come in every day. I just bought my time. And then the last night she come in with him behind her. And, uh, you know, it was one of them situations where as crazy as it is, I have a bear in my shop that's pretty close to the same size as him. Maybe not quite as big, but just about as big. I killed him in the same exact spot, the same exact within one day. I think I killed him uh, June 4th and zip tie was june 3rd kind of that rut week is is i target that for a reason up there because this kind of guy is the one that moves around in the daylight when them sows come in heat but it sort of turned into uh one of them things where it was almost like i started hyperventilating when i seen it was him i wasn't overly excited when i seen the bear i was overly excited when i seen the, the zip tie around his neck i'm like oh my god that is him and he come and uh I had thankfully about 20 seconds to talk myself off the ledge before the shot was going to come and uh, kind of had, he was in a bad position. He was perfectly broadside for a second. I started to draw, he quartered toward me. So I let down, it seemed like a day, but it was probably five seconds later. He turned broadside for me again and I got the bow back, but his vitals were pretty close to covered by a tree. So I, I kind of had to, uh, kind of had to wing an arrow right on the border of touching a tree i shot him maybe two inches forward of what i would like to have but it was kind of what i had he uh crashed out of there like a bulldozer like they all do and 50 75 yards later i could hear the crash and i could hear him wheezing trying to get oxygen and it was sort of uh that was the time to sit there for a half an hour and try to calm down so i didn't fall out of the stand getting down <laughs> pretty exciting very exciting and the friends I had with me, you know, they they made it even probably better yet, just because they were they were as excited about that bear as I was. Ken, the guy that runs the place up there, Ken was unbelievably excited, uh, by far the most excited I've ever seen him. It was a legend, you know. That bear was kind of a legend up there, and uh, he was very very happy that one of his hunters, being me, got to harvest him. It's pretty amazing. That is cool. You got any kill picks, Josh? No, not yet. Eric doesn't have them yet. He said, oh, okay. "So, uh, got. I guess we got one, but it's, it's. Uh, those are better. Those videos and stuff are are a little bit better." Okay. Um, Everybody else took the pictures, and I haven't received them back from them yet. I got a hell of a picture in my mind. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, here I can. One one thing that caught me uh, by surprise with that uh, with the picks, um, Eric was that uh, the bear was so big at this time of the year. You um, know, and it was a surprising thing. You're right. Um, the blubber on him, Jesus! I, I got a couple videos of him sent posting on some of the trees around that bait mark in his territory, which is a very common thing. Um, the videos made him look like he was 650, 700 pounds. What you miss there is you don't get to really accurately judge the length of that bear. You can see how heavy he is in the belly and his girth, but length is a whole nother thing. Um, we never really got to see that part of him until he was on the ground and we noticed it immediately, but it kind of, uh, it was a shock to me. He's that big, but you know what? I've just seen some of these bears and I'm not kidding you. There's a few other ones that, I feel are every bit as big as him and probably weight wise, even bigger just because he's short and he's built just like a human, a guy that's five foot four and 250 pounds is a pretty husky guy. And then you take a guy that's six foot six and 250 pounds. And he's kind of, I don't want to say lanky, but he's not real chubby. Bears are a lot. He's got a skull on it. eh? Oh man. He's got a, his mouth. (laughs) I mean, you could set a 30 pack of bush light between his ears. I always say that, uh, I, I like those bears that uh, look like they got a butt crack on their forehead, and I saw that in some of the pictures. Yeah, exactly how I describe it too. When they got a butt crack on their forehead, it's a good old bear. They don't grow <laughs> that muscle until they get old. Yeah. But anyway, he scaled out. Um, we were a little surprised in his weight, and just because he wasn't real long, he was four forty-two. I think is what he was. Which There's in the spring, wrong with that in a spring bear. No, no, and that's that's another thing you have to kind of portray too is that bear would have been over six hundred in the fall because he'd have put on one hundred and fifty pounds damn near throughout the summer. Jeez, but yeah, he, <laughs> I've never once shot a big spring bear that I regretted and wished I'd a shot in the fall, but you always wonder what they would have been. <laughs> Do you go up there every spring and every fall? You know, I only get one bear a year up there. So I have had years where I didn't tag out in the spring and then I go back in the fall. They don't allow you two tags, huh? No, it's just one. You get one harvest tag and that's it. If you could, I'd certainly be going twice a year. It's just, it's one of them hunts. It's close to home. It's only seven hours. Uh, Accommodations are way nicer than you're used to on a trip like that. It's nothing super fancy, but it's very, very, very nice. Um, The hunt is easy. It's best suited. We went up there where it's just one or two of us. You have a whole lot more fun when there's a gang. You know, you get four, five, six guys with you, and it turns into 
you know, like the old college party kind of, but yet in the afternoon, it's just all serious business to the hunt. Hmm. I got to get on one of these bear hunts. I'm telling you, you I told you. <laughs> and all the other guys that were with us this year too, there were six of us in total and we shot five dandy bears. I mean, they were two of the guys, three, well, it was three of the guys were first timers. So you kind of expect them going in there and shooting a toilet seat cover that weighs a hundred pounds. Cause that's usually the first <laughs> one they see. And, uh, these boys here, they were well coached in the beginning that they were probably going to do that. And boy, they proved me wrong. Cause they, they both or all three of them just shot slammer bears. <laughs> they let some young ones go. We shot some color. Uh, we had a chocolate bear, a really nice chocolate that my buddy Rhino shot his first bear. Um, another guy, a new guy, he shot a that bear was somewhere in the 425 range live weight. Uh, that was the first night. And that guy, we call him Yoder. Yoder, uh, first time in a bear stand, and he lets a, just a gorgeous, gorgeous cinnamon bear sit there and eat for two hours. He come back with that video. I said, man, what is wrong with you? Oh, he said, I made the right choice. Look what I shot. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, the second guy, there was another guy that went back in later in that week and, and actually hunted that cinnamon bear and ended up killing it. So he made the right call. Yoder got a big one. So what are you going to do with it, uh, mount-wise? You know, I got to right size them. I have to. Um, Figure out what you're going to do. I mean, you got just about everything in the shop already. Yeah, well, but I don't mind more. That, that zip tie on his neck. Yeah, we're definitely going to life-size zip tie. We have to. And and I don't like to say I hold myself to that standard, but I kind of do. If I'm going to shoot a bear anymore, it's going to have to be something that's worthy of a life-size mount. And I'm not saying every bear I'll ever shoot from here on out will be a life-size, but I really feel like I held my standard by doing that, which yeah. kind of sucks, you know, this less bear. <laughs> this was, uh, this bear was number 46 for me. And my goal is to hit 50. If I can hit 50 and, and I kick off after that, so be it. I did it. Um, <laughs> if I keep looking for zip ties, I'm not going to get to 50. At least <laughs> maybe you never know. Keep going. Did the, how tight was that snare around his neck whenever you got up to him? So here's, here's where we're just a little confused on that whole thing because I that was probably the most exciting part to me is to get up to him and grab that snare and see if it, we always argued, is it grown into the hide? Is it underneath the skin now? Has it dissolved completely? What, you know, what is the real story on him? And the truth of the matter is the zip tie is gone. The snare is gone. Hmm. Mm. Whether that rusted off this year, uh, I think he lost it within the last year because we used to be able to see the tail end of it hanging off. I don't know if it rusted off of him. If uh, he he still was fighting, this bear was uh, he was still an active participant in the Wild West. Uh, he had notched out ears. He still got fresh scars. I mean, he was still trying to be king of the forest. And I don't know if another bear ripped it off of him. That's the logical thing to me. Um, potentially rusted off of them, you know, it'd be in there that long, 12, 13, 14. Maybe you just broke it working at it for all those years, just bending it back and forth. Yep. That, that's a potential thing too. You know, there's a, that, that'll be the legend of zip tie the part we never know, but it wasn't there. Uh, we fully expected when we skinned them to find it underneath the skin. Uh, wasn't there. Wasn't there. So that's one thing zip tie took to the grave. We'll never know. Hmm. 
What year was it? You may have said it earlier. I missed it. What year was it that Tom shot him? You know, I, I, I'm going to say probably about five, six years ago. Okay. It's fairly accurate. I'd have to look back in my photos to know where, but five, six years is pretty close. And there's been several people have seen him since then. Um, there's a, there's a bear preserve that's um, probably 10 miles, 12 miles from where I, where I ended up shooting him. And Tom actually had shot him within a couple miles of that preserve. And that's where he got trapped is near that preserve. Um, I'm thinking that was kind of his home area. That's where he was native to is that bear preserve. And since I killed him, which was just last Friday, so just a few days back, or I guess almost a week now, um, I've had lots of people that have hunted there text me pictures and call me and said, yeah, you know, we've we seen him when we were at that preserve because the guy's actually got some tame bears that he's hand-fed since the day one. Uh, we call it the donut factory. Uh, the guy is probably going to get somebody killed eventually because he's got, these are 100% wild bears. And some of them have just grown up with him feeding them every day. And he's actually got the public comes in once in a while and, you know, they'll literally hand feed some of these bears and something's going to go bad one day. I, I, the locals do not like him because of that. These bears have no, some of them have no fear. So hopefully that don't happen, but it very well could. Yeah. You always hear stories about those things going south. <laughs> yeah, usually, eventually, it does. Well, congrats on the bear. Thank you. Guys. That's a yeah. really, really cool hunt. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that. So I'm, uh, I'm bear hunting this fall, and uh, I was thinking about running up by you this weekend, maybe if you're around, yeah. getting some bait. Um, what do you suggest for this time of the year, and why? So this time of year is more about volume. Um, Bears typically this time of year aren't super picky about what they're eating. Nutritional requirements aren't real strict. Um, common things nowadays is going to be your cookies. And uh, we've got like a peanut butter wafer granola. That's just dynamite stuff. That's probably one of the better things I've ever had. You know, some of the, the peanut butter M&Ms, I really like. The bears love them. They just like vacuum cleaners with them things. Uh, there's a caramel sauce that we have. I, th I think in the week's time, I'm estimating 40, 50 different bears that we've seen come in. We would always take a packet of that caramel and squirt it on the barrel or make a pile of it on the ground, you know, in a crotch of a tree or something where they had to kind of face away from you and look away where a guy could draw back. Um, if we've seen 60 bears this week, last week, 60 out of 60 went in and licked that caramel till it's gone. I mean, they're just addicted to the stuff. Once they get on it, it is definitely something they're going to hit first every single time. I mean, I really like uh, anything of any kind of volume and you put that topper on it. And it's this year, that's kind of what's going to hold them. Um, kind of got a good idea where you're going to be hunting, Dan. And I think that you're going to probably want to mix in a small portion. I like to run like an 80-20 rule, 80% filler and 20% nutritional this time of year. But then when I start getting to mid to late August, I start flipping that and I flip that to... 20% filler, 80% nutritional. Uh, the biggest reason that we've went that route is these bears have what I call garbage mode to fat mode. And all summer long, they're primarily in garbage mode where they eat whatever they can that tastes good, fills the belly. But then when they start hitting that late August, that biological switch goes off. And that switch says nothing more than it's time for you to start eating things that are nutritionally sound in order to put on a fat reserve for hibernation, because if you don't, you're going to die. Um, 
peanuts, trail mixes, things like that are typically what will will blend, I guess you'd say, to kind of hit that 20-80 rule or 80-20 rule right now. And then we just flip that ration. 80% filler, 20% nutritional now. End of August, we'll go 80% nutritional, 20% filler. And it, the bears are going to do it. They're going to go that way no matter what. It's up to you if you follow it or not. You're not going to change it. If you go against that grain, I think your success is going to drop dramatically. Um, one thing I want to point out, I kind of skipped over when I was telling the story about zip tie. This is a fallacy, in my opinion, 100% in my opinion, not just a question mark, but 100% fallacy. I hear people all the time say, I'm going to dump that bait because I got a sow and cubs in there. I've got some videos and probably four to six times I've seen the sow come in on this bait where I killed zip tie that had little butterball cubs. And when I say small, you can put four or five of them in a five-gallon pail. That's how small they are right now up there. And everybody says when you have a sow and cubs on a bait, you're not going to kill a decent bear in there because she's going to drive them all off. Well, I'm going to tell you right I've now. Seen chase, uh, small bears away, but not big ones. I'm, I'm going to tell you. This zip tie was number nine. Nine booners, all nine had a sow and cubs on it. All nine, mm -hmm. nine for nine. And you know what? Mm -hmm. That's ninety percent. That passes any test I've ever took in my life. <laughs> <laughs> a minus. Hey. <laughs> no. These were cool with me. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, Eric. Yeah, yeah, it's funny you say that about the 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 bait with the protein and stuff because I've noticed that uh, watching the cameras and uh, and watching the bears when I hunt, if if I bait all summer or to start a baiting in, in whatever particular state I'm in, I've noticed that they just eat everything that you put out early. Yep. And there's the time right before bear season <clears throat> when they'll come in and they'll just take the the, the prime things. I mean, eventually they'll eat everything, but you watch them come in and just start getting picky. Absolutely. And that's uh, different regions got different food sources that they kind of gravitate to. Uh, we'll use my area for an example here. We're just loaded, loaded, loaded with acorns. I mean, we've got probably as many oak trees as anything else here. So they have a plethora of acorns and the acorns are bitter tasting, but they're super, super high in nutritional value. I get into northern Minnesota, places like that. It's the same story with a different name. Uh, hazelnuts, you know, they'll start really, really diving into those come bear season in the fall. Any place that they have a higher nutritional value, it does the taste doesn't matter to them at all anymore. And we see that just the same, even during the summer. If we've got anywhere, you know, let's just say eight bears coming into a bait. Um, I can feed, let's just say five different ingredients in my bait. And all every bear is sometimes different where one comes in and every time if you identify him, you can see that he goes for, uh, let's just say marshmallows, just as an example. He always vacuums up the marshmallows first and then he'll switch to uh, uh, circus peanuts or, or whatever it is that the second favorite. And people kind of fail to realize these things ain't a lot different than people. So if I take you to Old Country Buffet and say, hey, Dan or Josh, uh, dinner's on me. Go get it all you want. You know, it's a buffet. Eat all you want. It's free. What are you going to grab? Are you going to grab three pounds of mashed potatoes? Yeah, or are you going to go grab the steak and the lobster and the crab legs, you know, until you puke? And it's no different with that bear. They're just a lot like people. They really are. You think about what you would do, and that's probably what they're going to do. We can just manipulate them a little bit to do things 
and little tricks like that bear scat. Um, that doesn't necessarily work, and it does in the whitetail world too. I mean, you can assert dominance with whitetails and and trick a buck that's got a rub line or a scrape line into thinking there's another mature or dominant animal in there, and you can maybe try to get him to do something he normally wouldn't do. But I think with a bear, I think it's a lot easier. Yep. So how often do you think uh, a guy should bait from like right now to season? You think uh, my plan was uh, once a week till mid-August and then start bumping it up to a couple times, three times a week? I think the region will have everything to do with that answer. Um, I know that in my particular area, and it's probably no different where you're headed. I, I kind of know that area a little bit too, and that's that's one of them areas that's a, far from you. Yeah, it's a high traffic area. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of hunters around there. Tags aren't super hard to come by. Um, the volumes of hunters are big. And I am really, really, really a strong proponent on baiting a little bit early. Like right now, I want my baits cranking. And some people look at that and say, oh, yeah, he wants you to bait early because he wants to sell you more bait. Mm -hmm. That's zero to do with my answer. The reason I want to be baiting now is, is because anybody that's baited early and has had a super stud bore on their bait, a lot of them have seen them disappear this time of year. And what they're doing is they're not leaving because you did something wrong. If you're doing everything correctly, they're leaving because they got a 50, 60 mile range that they're going to go out looking for sows. Now, what you got to remember is that's not the bear I'm concerned about, because if I've treated him well for the last three, four, five weeks on my baits, he knows there's a bunch of food here. He knows it's good. He knows there's sows. He knows this, he knows that he might go on a walkabout and he might be gone for two to four weeks. I'm not concerned about him. I'm concerned about the boar that's from 50 miles away that's coming through my direction, hits my bait, finds two, three sows on it, and he says, wow, this is, uh, this is amazing. And, and I sometimes use the analogy, if you're from, uh, I ain't going to use no names, but let's just say the inner city, and you're kind of accustomed to hearing gunshots and people getting shot on the sidewalk and things like that, and then you come to small town Ettrick, USA, you get here and you're like, wow, the worst thing I got to worry about here is hitting a deer with my truck. Things are awesome. The grass is green. You know, uh, the food is good, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you can get them bears to move and take up a new home range because things are better where they just visited versus where they came from. Um, I think that's the same with people. Uh, why did people from the city want to move to the country? Escape the chaos, live a better life. It's the same with that bear. So my goal baiting early is to get, hopefully catch one or two super stud boars that are from a distant area that came through, checked things out, found it, loved it, and thought, hey, this is a better place to live than where I was. I'm now going to live here. Now he's a target for me again. And we, we, our biggest bear ever, that's exactly what we did with him. We caught him during the rut one year. He come in, he loved it here, he stayed here. He was here every year since until he died here. So the one thing I've noticed with my traveling on, on in baiting is uh, I'll get uh, bears will come in, they're, say are a target bear, find your bait, and you know because they got a camera running on it twenty four seven, always all baits. So they'll find it and they'll stick around till the bait's gone, and then come in the next day and look. And a day or two might go by and he comes back again, and then if I don't get bait out there, I lose him. 100%. And then maybe a week or two later, he shows up again and the same routine. So I guess 
what I'm leaning at is if I, you know, I'm not looking for anything unless it's big either, you know. So I'm kind of leaning at running these baits when something big shows up on them, then I start cranking up the bait. Would you say that's a good tactic? Hey, so, before you uh, before you answer that, I'm gonna run the restroom real quick while you guys are chit chatting about. I have I have no input on any of this stuff. I'll be right back. You know, and, and you just kind of alluded to one of my my theories, I guess you'd say. Going right back to what I said a little bit ago about bears being like people. If you use the analogy, um, let's just say a restaurant that's three miles from your house, close, easy. If that restaurant, you go in there and you try it out, that's that bear coming for the first time. You go in and try in that restaurant for the first time. And you go in there and you find just amazing food, decent service, all right pricing. You're pretty apt to go back to that place the next time you go out for dinner. Versus the alternative will be the second part of your, your statement. If you go there, you try that food, it's all right. You go back the second time to try it again, but they're closed at five o'clock at night on Friday. You're going, ah, well, well, maybe something catastrophic happened, you know, and wait staff didn't show up or something happened within the family. So you maybe give them a third chance and you go back next time and you try it again, but they're closed again. That closed again is equating to you not feeding them again. There's no reward for their effort. At some point, you're only going to strike out so many times at that restaurant, a.k.a. that bait. You're only going to do that so many times before you say, I need to go try a different restaurant. And as soon as that happens and that bear goes to the other restaurant, being the guy that's baiting a mile or two miles up the road, whatever it happens to be, and he's really taking care of his bait well, he's feeding them, he's and cell cams. I can't push enough how big of a tool a cellular camera is for me on a bait. It, it is it saves me a ton of money, pays for itself every year because I don't have to go waste my time going in there. If that bait isn't hit, I don't have to put a bunch of human scent in for a bear. That's not accustomed to my scent yet. That's a tender, you know, that's a real tender time is when that bait first starts getting going because that bear that's not habituated to your smell. When he comes in for the first time and he smells human scent, he also smells that bait, that attractant, all the things you use to lure him in. So there's a decision for him, fight or flight. Do I stay here? Do I come in? Do I go into that grub pile and see what's there, even though I, I smell there's a human intrusion? That's kind of the, you know, the point where that cell cam, I don't have to go check that bait six, eight, ten times without it being hit, stinking the place up before I give that bear a reward for his effort. And as humans, we work for money. We go to work all the time and, and we expect to get paid for it. If we go to work for a week and we don't get paid, there's a small chance you'll go back to work next week. But if you don't get paid again, you're looking for a job. It's the same with that bear. When he exerts that energy to come to that bait, he wants a reward for his effort. We work for money. He works for food. So not having food in there, I think, is a detriment. And I see baits that could be dynamite, that people are lazy, maybe, per se. They, they don't put the effort into it that it should have. I see them people every day, and I also see the guys that work their butts off. And the guys that work their butts off are typically the ones sending me pictures. That's so if, if, if I was going to bait, um, you know, once or twice a week during the summer here until it picked up, um, my thought is I'd like to have something that they really like, but maybe not fully because I've got that 10-gallon uh, limit. Yeah. But something that might last a little while. Is there something I could do like that? You know, 
I, I, think, th I think a bear is just going to eat 10 gallons no matter what you put there, right? Yes I mean, and no. Um, different sized bears are going to consume different volumes of food. If I see these super slammer bears, these five, 600 pound bears on a bait, it's not a real uncommon thing to watch them eat a five gallon pail in a sitting. Now, if we take that average 100 pound bear, 150 pound bear, I'd say more like that two gallons is probably it. So the numbers of bears you have on a bait will kind of dictate how long your bait will be around, I guess, per se. And I hear that stuff all the time, too. All I'm doing is feeding 100 pound bears. Well, I'll take every 100 pound bear on a bait I can get because that is competition that makes a big guy. There's only two things that are going to make a 500 pound bear walk out in the daylight. One is competition, and the other is the rut. And we don't get to hunt the rut here. So uh, I get to use that tactic in Canada, obviously, but I don't get to use it here. It's a straight-up fall hunt. That's all we get. So as far as a recommendation on a food, dense bait definitely fills them up quicker. Um, there's no two ways about it. They can't eat as much of it, and it's no different than me and you. Uh, grab a box of popcorn and you can eat the whole damn pail and not be full. Grab a, you know, grab three pound roast and try eating that. Mm -hmm. Dan, you might be able to do that, but <laughs> not anymore. You're an eater. <laughs> How about cookies? Heavy on the cookies? You know, I like cookies in the summer because they're just good filler. Um, there ain't too many bears in the world that aren't going to eat cookies. I feel like later on they become my filler bait. Certainly not my uh, nutritional end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, cookies yeah i mean i do a lot of cookies they're they're light they're reasonably priced there's a lot about them i do like i just think towards season they're not the, they're not the answer to me at all hmm. how about uh, bait placement i noticed that uh, we differ there most of the stuff that me and you talk about i agree with you 100 percent on everything you're saying and kind of vice versa but uh i've never really hunted bears in hills I've always gravitated to swamps and I've always set up like with deer where I look for a spot where that bear can hide down into a low swamp on the end of a point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want that bear to be able to bed close. And I try to look for a crosswind um, because I don't think they, I think they're going to circle if they got the wind directly away from the bait. You know what I'm saying? Almost but I want them to lay there, watch the bait. And I've seen this on cameras. When the small bears come in, they'll protect the bait. They'll come in and chase them off. And uh, that's what I try to maintain. But, uh, you know, I thought I, I really had a good system for that. And then when I went up by you, I noticed uh, you and your neighbors, um, maybe not as much as you because I didn't look at any setups that you had for bears. But uh, your neighbor, for sure, had that set up on the top of the hill. And I couldn't believe he shot a big boar come up out of the bottoms up that hill. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going a little overboard with my setups. I don't know. No, I mean, I completely see why you do what you do. And here's where I'm going to give you my take on this, because this this was a hunt I've never, ever in my life felt so uncomfortable in a stand as I did on this trip. And the reason being is the way the wind was swirling in there. And I'm telling you, it came from every single direction, 10 different times every night I hunted. And it got to a point where I had to trust what I knew, not what I seen. The pollen was falling absolutely insane. It looked like a snowstorm up there most of the week. It was all pollen. So you were able to watch. It was like having 5 million milkweeds in the air at all times all day long. And the way that that wind swirled in there, I was still seeing solid numbers of bears coming in. And I think it's a food over fear thing. I think it kind of comes down to a point where you said it. 
you'll probably never in your lifetime see a mature bear that doesn't circle you, that doesn't try to get the wind on you. And in the hill country, we've seen very few situations, and I look for it, where I can put some sort of a natural barrier on that downwind side where he's got to expose himself in a wide open field or something like that, which they don't like to do. That's one of the only ways I've been able to curb the wind on a bear. This hunt proved to me, I've, I've kind of always said it, forget the forget your scent control. Don't even think about it because it's pointless. Um, I, could, I could drop you in a vat of iodine and helicopter you into your tree stand and you stink like a rotting carcass to a black bear. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can hide from them. So you know what I've kind of learned to do? Not try. I don't even put one iota of scent control into bears. I do not even do it because they're going to get you. They're going to smell you no matter what, unless you get that perfect storm. I mean, I seen 15, 20 bears this week that all had my wind, every single one of them, because I watched it blow right to them in the bait. I watched it go, you know, straight up from the pressures pushing the milkweed or the pollen, I guess, straight down to them from it blowing over the top of them from the east, the west, the north, the south. And just I got to a point where this just kind of proved my theory. This was the second booner I shot out of that stand. Exact same situation on a sow, scent posting, uh, coming in downwind to me. I think it just comes to a point where they just, they've smelled humans, seen humans, and they just ignore it. I, I really think that's the truth. It's, it's crazy to say it out loud because it goes against everything as scent control that we've talked about in the history of our deer hunting and bear hunting and everything else. Me personally... My fear with your setup, Dan, is that you'd walk in bumping them bears because they may bed in an area commonly. They're probably mm-hmm. not going to be laying in the same bed every time. So mm-hmm. when you think you're you're getting in tight to them, sometimes I think maybe you're bumping them. And to me, that's yeah, more I, I think you'd have to see my setups to know what I'm talking about because I, I always set up on the edge of hardwoods mm-hmm. in the edge of swamp. So I've got a clear path to the edge of the swamp. The bait's, okay. the bait's in a place that they're, they're not laying out in the open. Sure. You know what I'm saying, but it's adjacent to where they would lay. So I'm, I'm figuring I'm putting myself within a hundred yards of where they would bed or where I know have known them to bed. Um, it actually works pretty good, but my curiosity was more on uh, the, the hill country, but I think, I think you pretty much answered my question. Get down to the bottoms. You can't control the wind. You can control right. it. Right. Top. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can. And that setup, I know exactly the one you're talking about with the neighbor's setup. And I think that he probably got into that position where that wide open field was more than likely on the downward downward side of the wind direction. And I'm thinking that bear just didn't want to come out into that field. So he got lazy and poked his head out of the timber and the baits, you know, five yards out of the timber, which wouldn't have been my position where I would have put it. But I can see why it worked also. I've seen uh, where um, bears will ignore your scent. I've seen it where it blows right to them and they come in anyway. I've, I've seen that several times. So I know what you're talking about. But I've also had them come in, catch my wind, and yeah, leave. So I try, I try to play the wind. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, I try to use an obstacle or an open area. But I have a very hard time getting bears in that Minnesota area or even in some of the swampy areas that I hunt to come into any kind of opening, even a small opening in the woods. Yep. yep. I don't like my baits in the clearing. I've always said the darker it is in your bait site, the more comfortable they feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, clear cuts we've we've seen some clear cuts where it's just you know three to five year regrowth and a clear cut and it's so thick you can't even walk through it you think there's nothing that even lives in here oh well, that's where them bears are at 
you know, the, the gnarlier, the better, but they always are going to bed. Shouldn't say always, but I think predominantly they're going to bed in them low lying swampy areas because the temperature difference. Uh, I think the, the hill you're speaking of, you know, you know, the setup better than me, but think about that hill where you sit versus down in the bottom in that swamp. There's probably a 10 degree difference there. Yeah. Well, what's bear season? Typically it's 90 plus degrees. They wear a black winter jacket all day. Being in the sun sucks, period. Much less 10 degrees warmer. They take advantage of that. And I think that's kind of my thinking, too, is I like I, they like the small swampy areas, low lying. You got any questions coming in, Josh? Yeah, I got a few if you guys are. Uh, anybody that wants to call in and talk to? Yeah, uh, if, if anybody wants to uh, to call in here, here. I'm, I'll post the link again. It'll be at the bottom of the chat. I posted it earlier also, so you can use either one. Just have to copy it into your web browser, and it'll let you in. You have to figure it out from there. But um, I'll just pop some questions up for you guys. So Stan P asked, uh, you ever hunt spot and stalk bear, either one of you? Probably out west. I have never done that. I have not either. I have. I didn't, I didn't get one. I've done it There's, accidentally. Yeah. I, I was elk. Yeah. I was elk hunting out in Colorado, and you – you get a bear tag for a hundred bucks. So we had a, we had a, uh, we were kind of dual purpose. If we saw a bear, we were bear hunting, but other than that, we were elk hunting. So I can't really say, I actually, I've had a tag in my pocket, I guess, in the woods. Um, someone, I can't find it in here, but did someone did ask about dogs? If you got either one of you ever hunted with dogs? I did. My I first bear was with, with hounds. I enjoyed it a lot, but, uh, I really prefer the chess game of uh, hunting them over bait. So I've never yeah. I, once and I never did it again. I, I really prefer um, bow hunting them and I, where it's the up close, I think they would be really easy to kill with a rifle. Um, getting them to come to them baits and not wind you, not circle you, not catch you, not bust you or figure you out is a tough thing. Um, you know, like Eric said, every now and then they just come waltzing right in and you think, well, what the heck? But usually a bear that gets to be 20 years old is a pretty smart animal. Um, if you sat back 200 yards with a rifle and had a clear shot to a, to a bait in an otherwise dense cover, it just, that just doesn't do it for me. I, I like that up close thing. So I like the bow hunt and I like the chess game, um, but I'm, I'm not into the hounds. I, I, I enjoyed the hunt immensely, but it was really more about running the hounds and watching how they acted and watching how the bear acted when it was chased for me. How about you, Eric? Um, I've ran bears a lot with dogs. Um, not so much during the kill season. I was more into the training season. A, it was timing for me. B, I see people that get along and people I like and, and see them get along with each other well during the training seasons. But as soon as kill season came around, now they're enemies and, you know, it's just everything got different. So I never enjoyed the kill, the kill season, I guess you'd say. I love running bears with dogs, though. Um, I shot one here in Wisconsin about two, three years ago with a dog, the dog hunt. And I did it with my bow, which, uh, you know, you kind of alluded to it not being as much of a chess match. It's a chess match between the dogs and bear, not so mm -hmm. much the hunter and the bear anymore. You still got to do your part. But, I mean, I've, I've run dogs most of my life, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And I honestly really hope to do it quite a bit in the future. But... Going back to the spot and stock thing a little bit, exact same as you, Josh. I was elk hunting in Idaho, 
and uh my elk hunt turned into a bear hunt really quick because we had a 500 pound chocolate hitting my wife's elk carcass nice that turned into a bear hunt really quick and that was a spot where i was hunting with my recurve and i was pretty limited on my distance and the carcass was sort of in a bad spot and i made do the best as i could and that bear he knew i was there every time i was there and as soon as i was gone he was back and you know that typical chess match where you don't come out on on top all the time or even often on a bear like him so my spot in stock though is very very limited you could say that was still a bait hunt is really what it was yeah we we went elk hunting the year before that and didn't buy tag bear tags and we saw like three different bears yeah and then the then the year we bought a tag we never saw a bear uh, but it was also super dry up there um there wasn't i mean it was a whole different area um anyway i'd Dan, really this was, run hounds for uh for cougar mountain lion that's on my bucket list i'd like to do that once mm-hmm. that's awesome. get a good time with uh you know hounds yeah that'd be awesome Off my family oh, yeah. my yeah my family's uh really into hound hunting so mm-hmm. i think i think i could go do something like that with my dad and he'd be all over that he'd like that and i would too so um all right dan this one's probably just gonna be you talking but uh Stan wants to know the history of the hunting beast and how it start. Uh, probably do a whole podcast on that sometime. Yeah, he probably could. <laughs> really good. Uh, uh, I got pretty well known through my deer hunting stuff. And then uh, at some point I started a, a business called uh, Blood Brothers Outdoors. And uh, there was a breakup with the, the partners. Um. And then I started uh, hunting beast on my own with my wife and my son, um, which is really just me hunting. Um, but I obviously I include Josh and everybody else. And it's really it was uh, more about uh, when I started this out, uh, nobody uh, nobody really shared secrets, and it was kind of taboo. You didn't tell people how to hunt or anything, um, and people would get mad that you gave secrets. And I just always thought that. Uh, if you help young people learn how to hunt and you help novices that are beginning that everybody would be better off. I mean, it's more like a team sport to me. Um, you hunt on your own, you go out there, you do your thing on your own, but if you help people get into the sport, it protects the sport. Um, so I always did this to, uh, give back to the community that, um, did a lot for me because, uh, when I was young, I mean, uh, I was a wild and crazy kid, grew up in the 80s. Um, all my friends were potheads and drunks and stuff, and uh, most of them are dead or in jail. Um, what saved me was uh, the hunting, the love of the outdoors. And I think uh, that could save a lot of uh, kids today in today's society. I think there's nothing healthy about sitting in a house playing video games or growing up in a city with no, um, with no uh, recourse of... Um, getting into the wilderness the wilderness is where we belong it's where we came from and you have to have some time there and i just like to see more people get into that and uh, that's why i started the hunting beast there you go everybody there's the the story of the hunting beast how many years has it been going on now dan what year did you start it uh the hunting beast itself i think is from i think around 2010 yeah Uh, yeah I think around uh, that sounds about right. Early two thousands is when I started Blood Brothers. 
All right. Um, what's the arrow setup for bear? Mm-hmm. You do anything different for bear or anything? Yeah, I did it different bear. this year. I'm doing it different again next year. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I played with some stuff this year different than what I've done in the past. So I like to say a whitetail arrow is a good bear arrow. Most always. Uh, to me, uh, whitetail is more of a dense animal than a black bear. This being uh, this bear I just shot, he would have been number 44 that I shot with a bow. No, I take, yeah, 44. 44 with a bow. Last year was the first time of all the bears I've ever shot, the first time I didn't pass through the bear completely. And the arrow went out the other side. It just hung in him. Uh, I watched two or three guys last week shooting a setup that I, I looked over. You know, I looked at their their total grain weight and everything they were shooting out of their bow. And I kind of was shocked to see three arrows that didn't pass through this week. Hmm. After seeing that, I've been cut, I've been shooting a 2.1 inch. Um, I'm not going to get into names and brands and all that stuff. But um, this is an arrow that I was shooting 505 grains up until this year. And I built some new shafts, heavier front of center, uh, went down to 450 grains because I really felt like I was leaving things on the table as far as shooting distance you know heavier arrows obviously are dropping faster but they carry kinetic energy to a point where they start losing that kinetic energy or momentum so i went down to 450 grains this year i built them shafts this was the first animal i've hunted with them i've seen them other guys not pass through their bears so i grabbed an inch and a half cut i got two of the exact same broadhead one's an inch and a half cut the other one's a 2.1 inch Typically, I've shot the 2.1 because I want a big hole. I need to get some of that blood out of that bear onto the ground for tracking. I switched to that inch and a half a day or two before I shot zip tie. And I did that because I was spooked by what I was seeing by these other guys. And I thought, you know, if that big bastard does come in, it's going to take a lot of arrow to drive through him. And when I shot him, I literally just poked the chisel tip out the other side. So I didn't blow through him. I'm going to tell you right now, right here is another dozen shafts, and I'm building six of these that are going to be about 650 grains, and here's why. I'm shooting 20 yards and less. I'm never shooting distance with a bear. They're always close. I shot zip tie at 12 yards. That's a pretty standard shot on a bait, um, 15 being kind of the norm. I like 18 if I can pick a number. I am going to build some super heavy arrows just because... I'm not looking at shooting 30, 40, 50, 60 yards with this animal. I, I would have answered this question differently two weeks ago. After just seeing four of them this last week that we did not pass through, things are different for me. Um, I can make that argument. Oh, we go with a cut on contact broadhead or a fixed blade. And yes, there's a lot of truth in that. That's going to blow through pretty much every single black bear you ever shoot. Even with a light arrow, a 350 grain arrow is probably going to blow through. Here's the problem. If you don't have a decent wound channel and a giant cut, these things can be super, super hard to track. Um, I've seen fatal hits, great lung shots, where you've got a hard time finding that animal because they're going to run 40, 45 miles an hour, and they bust through that brush and get 100 yards in a matter of two, three seconds. It don't sound like a lot unless you've been in that kind of territory where 100 yards is 10 miles as far as tracking. So a big cut and a good heavy arrow or a decent, I'd say 500 grains and better 
is sort of where I'm going to build my setup from here on out just for black bears. For, for me, I always use my deer arrows, the same mm -hmm. ones I use for deer hunting. And uh, I've never had a problem. Um, I've had them where they don't go completely through, but usually because it's hit something on the other side and stops. Um, like it hits the dirt on the other side and hangs up. But I blow through both sides. Um, I have experienced bad blood trails from, uh, I, I won't use the expandables. Um, but from my broadheads, I have had uh, poor blood trails or not very much at all. But it seems to me like a bear goes down way faster than a deer. And I've never lost one because of that. I mean, I find them pretty easy. I had the worst one, I think, got 100 yards, maybe a little more than that, and really, really dense cover with very sparse blood. Took me 45 minutes or something. But uh, the only bear I didn't recover, I didn't deserve because I shot it in the shoulder. As long as you stay back from that shoulder. I mean, they got such a dense shoulder, you don't want to hit that for sure. I mean, you might get through a whitetail, but getting through a shoulder of a mature boar, I don't think it's happening. Uh, and the good thing is with a bear, you can hit them a little further back. You don't have to glue to the shoulder as much as with, with a deer, wouldn't you say, Eric? I agree 100%. I, I usually, you know, and we're talking about nine inches here, and I usually like to say from the crease of the shoulder, I like to be right around nine inches back because that's going to get me into the lungs, and I've still got eight, ten inches of liver behind that, whatever that happens to be. I've got a really big area to miss forward and back if I shoot that spot. And you're right. Um, I think they die easier than a whitetail most of the time. Yeah. With a good you, know, you know, what's funny is I don't see that with a gun, and I don't know why. But I think it's annoying. down much faster. I agree. I think it's the noise that scares them. You know, it's that adrenaline, that instant rush of adrenaline when they hear that gunshot yeah, versus an arrow. It's another bee sting. Sometimes it amazes me how fast they go down. I mean, a lot of times it's right in eyesight. Mm -hmm. Maybe because they're so big, it takes so much force to move that they use up all that oxygen so fast. That's why they go down faster. Maybe. I don't know. Could be. I think the main price problem people have with bears is the, the um, lack of patience. And I think if you haven't shot a lot of bears, it's easy to get excited when a bear comes in and take a shot too early or on a wrong angle or, or something. Or if, they, if they're pushing it with a bear that's coming in late, um, they can just look like a black blob and you can be looking at shoulder and think you're looking behind shoulder or something. Um, having proper light and uh, being patient, I think is important. I just had that conversation with one of the new bear hunters last week. I had a, a really good boar, and he was maybe a boar I would even have shot if I'd have had more daylight, but I could see him playing his day at 12 yards. I could see the silhouette of his body, no question, he was a good one. And could I have made the shot? Yes, I, I'm fully comfortable I could have. But the problem is, and I've done this, where you can't tell if they're quartered toward you, are they quartered away a little bit, are they perfectly broadside? Because you're right, they're just a black silhouette against the black or darker late at night shot. And I'm telling you, it's just not worth it. You could just, you're going to regret it most of the time if you do it. So, yeah, you're 100% right. Wait for that perfectly broadside shot. Chances are he's probably not going anywhere. He's probably going to give that shot to you. Um, that was all the questions we had in the Q&A. Uh, Eric, what do you guys get? What do you get going on this year? Are you going on any hunts or anything this fall? Yeah, so we just finished up Ontario, obviously. 
Um, me and the wife are both, we drill Montana elk. So we're going to head to Montana for a week. And then um, I've got a Colorado mule deer, Eastern Colorado mule deer. That'll be um, first part of November. So right now, those are kind of the only two that are scheduled, but I hope to find something to fill in. Yeah. Um, that'll be good. I I got to get out mule deer hunting again. I saw my bucket list to, to get a mule deer um, here pretty soon. So I should have a late season muzzleloader tag for Iowa, too. I usually draw that. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I will all find out probably in the next week or so. I should get a Iowa archery tag, but. Yeah, I do. Yep. I think they, I talked to some residents. They said they usually come out like the 18th or 19th ish area. You both I got to do at least. Got do what? Jealous. I'm jealous on that one. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, five years of applying. I mean, if a guy gun hunts, he can go every other year. Right. Uh, every year where I'm at, it's, uh, I've never not drawn. But that's the hard part about having a lease down there is. Yeah, it's hard to sit there and have a lease for five years and not. Yeah, but you know what? You probably wouldn't even be able to afford that lease if uh, you could get a tag every year. No, and I hundred percent love the system. I love their system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I hope hopefully we get uh, we get the tags and get out there and yeah, experience Iowa. Uh, I'll probably hunt either South Dakota, Kentucky too, and then Ohio. Um, I went turkey hunting in Ohio, so I got the most of the expense paid for over there. Um, I'm just worried about the guy on uh, Eric's shirt blowing up our economy before hunting season. Making gas afford this yeah. stuff. The Boy, gas is going to be more expensive than the tags and everything else. That's yeah, really getting there. Oh. I'm going to say oh. it, you know, and I don't want to turn this political at all, but <laughs> I think I may have already did. <laughs> so, uh, hey. <laughs> I've had some guys already tell me guys I've hunted with for a bunch of years. Um, not guys that I would say are, are poor by any means, but they're already backing off on some of the hunts that we've done many, many, many times because they're, they're holding their cards close to the vest right now with the purse string. They're, uh, they're scared of what's coming. I'm, I'm seeing the companies that I work with. So they're, they're calling, talking about forecasting. What do I think is going to happen here in the next six months? My answer wasn't real bright. Um, I, I don't see good things coming and unfortunately they agree with me and it sounds like you guys probably do too. Yep. Yeah. Not fun. I, I hope we can push past it. We had a, another question come in while we were BSing here. Um, you're mentioning late season muzzleloader in Iowa. Any, any pointers on late season muzzleloader hunts in Iowa? Um, let's see, here you go. Sent in for zone five, he says. This is my buddy, Brad. Global, we call him. Yeah. Um, my experience, so I'm in zone nine. I'm up in the northeast corner. Um, it's a lot easier for me to get a tag. And like I said, I've never not drawn. Nobody in our, our group, I guess you'd say, has never not drawn the shotgun or the muzzleloader hunt. The archery tag, yeah, that one's going to take me three to four years to get. Um, the pointers, late season muzzleloader hunting in Iowa, food, 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 food. It's a hundred percent my game. I have very, very limited food on my property. I also have some straight up killers that hunt before me on my property. So if I've got four or five target bucks, it seems them guys got them dead before I get there. 
So that, that sucks, but we always have, you know, a couple that are left. And unfortunately on our farm, it's pretty, pretty tough just because a lot of it's CRP land. We find that the bedding is, is kind of what we have to focus on. Some of the neighbors have great food sources. We have better bedding. So I need to kind of target in between that. And it all comes back down to scouting. Um, learn your farm, learn where them deer are at. We, we keep about a 200 acre sanctuary. If we see 10 deer, nine of them are coming out of there. Um, that's what, that's really what keeps me in that game is having that bedding area because I don't have the food source. The neighbor does, but I house, I house the deer. He feeds them. Um, I would love to have both. I just can't on that farm. It's not up to me. So, you know, in the end, there's still a deer. They still have a lot of the same habitual, uh, traits that every deer in Wisconsin, Indiana, no matter where they kind of play the same game and they've been chased. I mean, Iowa. Iowa's a lack of pressure compared to here, but some of them deer still get chased, you know, early archery season, which is probably a month before. I think it opens October 1st, October 1st, all the way to the first part of December. Them deer are getting pounded a lot. Um, some of them deer are getting pounded during the shotgun season, the first shotgun, second shotgun, and then muzzleloader comes up after that. So lack of pressure, food and, and bedding, really, that's... Uh, three things if you can use any of them i think that's the key that's december right um that hunt yeah i think it's the end it's right over christmas time so somewhere somewhere right around then yeah it starts yeah, out. i would say just like eric said food but i would say keep moving don't sit in the same spot if nothing's happening because they congregate around food or whatever so it'll all be in one area and it's like you got to find the deer uh you can't just sit and wait for them like rut in my opinion, at that time frame. So, I yep. mean, if you can go on, you got to remember, Eric, most of these guys are uh, public land hunters. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a different scenario. So keep moving. Sure. Yep. I was really good for uh, the state actually leaves a lot of food on their public land. They'll plant soybeans and corn and everything else just for the deer. And that's just one of the things I love about Iowa compared to here is they, they seem to really want to, put back you know they yeah they get exorbitant money for their tags and everything else but yeah uh, to me it's worth it it's well worth it yeah for sure i'm excited yeah you should be <laughs> um all right eric we'll let you get off here because we, we've been on here for, with a uh, over over an hour and 20 minutes so appreciate uh, you coming on yeah man it's been fun i really like the the bear talk i don't think it goes over as well with our listeners but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Something different. Right. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Congrats on the bear. Good luck. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll talk to you before the fall, but good luck if, if I don't talk to you on the mule deer and elk and all that. So, yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, congrats again. Thank you guys. And yep. congratulations on everything you guys are doing. And good luck on the future hunt. Stay safe and America first. Yeah. Right, I'll thank keep you. All for the weekend. Yep. <laughs> guys. All right. See you, Eric. Bye. Thank you. All right. Eric's done a lot of th cool things um, yeah, yeah. in his life. He's got that giant, giant grizzly bear and uh, stags from um, ever. I mean, just been everywhere. Yeah, Africa. you need to um, put up how people can get a hold of him. Um, his bear bait mm -hmm. business or whatever. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I always forget to. 
I'm awful about him. Awful host. Yeah. Trophy, trophy adventure, bear bait. Um, and he has, he has a pretty good business going on there. It must be good stuff. Obviously I don't know anything about bear bait, but to, to do what he does, it's, uh, uh must be good stuff. Uh, I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta go on a bear hunt. Uh, sometime it, it sounds so much fun i love i love listening to you guys talk about strategy with your baits i've never hunted anything over a bait a point so. for wisconsin this year yeah. yeah yeah um see how i do with this um with, with the help i'm getting with the baiting maybe we'll have yeah. something for coming up yeah i'm looking forward to it i'll test the um, water yeah <laughs> yeah give me yeah tee one up for me because i wouldn't know what i'm doing i have to come up here and help help you but uh, well i got uh, three three established baits that are really good yeah and uh me and rick both pulled a tag and rick is excited as is all all get out and i'm i'm really just if i you know if we get a real big one working that's what i'm interested in i've killed a lot of bears um i think we'll get some big ones working but i'd like yeah. to see rick get a bear but those baits, I mean, they're hot. So I'm just, uh, you know, I'm testing the waters with somebody helping me bait. And yeah. uh, maybe even helping them get into outfitting. But let's see how they do, you know, and if they can handle it. Um, hopefully it doesn't cost me a fortune because I got, you know, paying for gas and bait and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man. What is it up there right now? What's gas? Uh, it's like five and a quarter right now. Yeah, it's that's going what it here too. It's going to go up higher because it rapidly went to five and a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, it just sucks. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Um, next week is we're going to do this on Tuesday night instead of Thursday night, everybody. Just a heads up. I'm going on vacation at the end of next week. So um, we're going to, we, we moved it to, to Tuesday night. Should we tell them who the guest is, Dan? I think that's a start promoting it now. Yeah, why not? Aaron Warburton is coming on from the hunting public. Uh, Yeah, we're going to have Warb on. Uh, So definitely bring your questions. Obviously, you guys all know the hunting public. Aaron and um, Aaron was a big part of starting all that. And uh, obviously it is what it is now. And and those guys have way, way more experience than than most of us just because of the the nature of what they they do. Um, So... I think it's going to be cool with you and Orb on a podcast together, Dan. Chit chat. Yeah, I, so. uh, I really like Orb. He's a good guy. Yeah. So I'm looking forward yep. to that. Yep, yep, yep. It'll be the same time. It'll be no, 8 p.m. Orb. Eastern. With with his schedule, he don't go on very many uh, podcasts, so Mm-mm. he's uh, really pulling uh, me a favor by coming on here. So I appreciate that a lot. It yeah, should be uh, sure. be fun. Yep. Yep. I'm excited about it. So, so yeah, it'll be Tuesday next week. So be looking for the notifications earlier than, than Thursday. Um, all right, guys, we're going to hop off here and thanks again for, um, for hopping on everybody. The chats were as usual, there was a hundred of them on here. Um, if you hadn't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that for me. That'd be great. Uh, leave a comment. Nobody called in. I was going to give away a shirt tonight, a sweatshirt. Look at this nice, Mm. nice sweatshirt. Nobody got. Oh, really? Jeez. So I guess next week I'll give it away, maybe. Surely someone will call in with Warb being on. 
Uh, I get it though. Bear people, I think people like to listen to bear talk, but maybe not have the questions like the deer stuff. Um, anyway. All right, guys. Gonna hop off here. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. See ya.